Well, good morning. I'm Mark. I'm the music guy here. But today I'm going to fill in for these next few minutes um, as we are in this season of our church of searching for a new uh, pastor here. Jeremy and I have decided to, um, uh, have been asked by the leadership to step in and continue with some of the pastoral duties moving forward. And we've been in a series uh, looking at the book of James. And last week, can someone tell me what we talked about? Separate your dues from your who's. Anger. Today, we're talking about a, a topic that is, you know, when I set out the things I thought, particular weeks, oh, I hope Jeremy's speaking that week because I don't want to talk on that subject. <laughs> and as God would have it, today, I'm speaking on the subject of rejection. And it is a personal thing for me. This was a difficult week to go through and to hear from God what God says about rejection. So I believe that you're meant to be here this morning, and I believe that I'm meant to be here this morning to speak exactly on this topic. So let's first go to God's word with James. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week at the very end of chapter 1, and then we're going to go into James 2. So if we can get that scripture up there. Here's the end of chapter one. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers, here we go into chapter two. My brothers as believers and sisters, I can go ahead and add that. The Lord said that was okay. My brothers and sisters as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, now royal law here is referring back to the Levitical law, that the people that he's talking to, the Jewish community, would know exactly what he's talking about. So it's referring to this royal law, the Levitical law that we find in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy and the early, the Torah uh, uh, part of uh, our Scripture as the Jewish culture would know it. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Woe. Go back to that. That's pretty heavy, right? For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Go ahead. For the one who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, 
you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law. Are you ready for this? That phrase that we talked about last week? By the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Are you ready for this? This is the entire capsulation of what we're going to talk about. This very, these one, two, three, four words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Can I say that again? I didn't say it. James did. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, if that doesn't get you shouting, my, my pastor, T.W. Hudson, Brother Hudson is what we'd call him in the Southern Baptist Church, and if he read a good scripture, you'd hear his boots behind the pulpit. Now, if that doesn't get you shouting, now, I don't expect us good Lutherans to shout. Heaven forbid. So we're talking about a word favoritism. I want to expound on that word favoritism because he's talking to us. He's talking to our church. He's talking to us in our day and our time. Now we live in a affluent community on the north end of town. We aren't really faced with the type of problems, the type of community, the type of culture that churches who are found more in urban areas or in downtown areas, yet we think that because we are in this type of community, that we are immune from these kind of actions of showing favoritism, of rejection. We think that because sometimes we're in this culture, we, we lose sight often of what it means to be the church and to live out a Christ-like life, to do, not just read, not just be hearers, but doers of the word only. We're not faced with it. But I will tell you that you are naive to think that we do not have those kind of problems, those kind of issues within our body, within our church, whether it be alcoholism, drugs, Adultery, porn, I could just keep going down the list. And because we are affluent, primarily Caucasian, you do know you're Caucasian, right? Okay. We are somehow immune from that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what, dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, every Sunday, people walk through our doors and you have no idea the hell that is going on in their life just below the surface. You have no idea the hell that goes on inside their marriages, inside their homes, inside their personal beings. We have people that walk through our doors that don't think like you, don't talk like you, don't act like you, don't do the church thing. This is the way we go to church, go to church. You come in, you quiet, you sit, you stand, you sit, you stand. Oh, wait, that's the Catholics. No, we only do it a couple times. You sit, you stand, you pray, you say the Lord's Prayer, you say the Apostles' Creed, and then we go home, and that afternoon you just rip into your wife. Or on Monday morning, it's all frustration at your house. 
and you just cuss like a sailor at your children. Or that hotel room on Thursday afternoons where you're meeting up with your significant other. Or that life that you're outside of church living that looks zero like what we read in Scripture. It looks zero like what we're supposed to look like, right? But can we be real for a minute here, people? Not all of us in this room walk around in white robes and a halo all week long. I do, you may not. (laughs) That's far from the truth. James hit on a particular topic, favoritism. And he says if some rich guy comes in, has his act together, looks good, sharp, hair's all in place, quaffed, his teeth are brushed, his nails are clean, he's wearing a sharp suit. Man, he's probably spent $500 on that sharp suit. Our connector team, quick, hey, good to have you. And do you know what's sad is a lot of our churches, our leadership, our pastors, we zero in those kind of guys. I was taught when I was learning how to be a church planter. Those who do not know, I was ordained within the Southern Baptist (gasps) denomination, and I planted a church with a group of people here in Glen Eagle. That's still going. And when I talked to church leaders who were specialties about growing churches, building churches, planting churches, do you know what the number one thing they told me I needed to go out and do first? Find you some kingmakers. That was the first thing. If you're going to survive, you need to find you some kingmakers. Can I explain to you what kingmakers in their vernacular meant? Wealthy people. You need to go out and you need to find rich people who can support you and your church. And I have to be honest and tell you that I fell prey to that. I followed. You know the old adage, when you know better, you do better? I didn't know better. And guess what happened when I showed favoritism? I was on their hook. I was on their hook. And if there was a direction that I sensed from God about going, and yet it wasn't what they wanted, all of a sudden, guess what their response was? The thing that I looked to them for, they yanked. Uh Uh-oh, now we're getting close to home. We treat our money oftentimes as an indicator of our happiness at church, right? If I'm not happy, well, I'm going to stop giving. As if that's why we give, is so that a church becomes a church for what we want, right? A country club. And yet, when the poor walked in, When that person who, because we're right here on I-25 and Baptist Road, that person that comes in shambles, dirty. We had a guy sleeping one time in our playground. There's a little house in there. He crawled in and made home. We had a guy outside this building, cold morning, huddled, huddled under his blanket. Did we usher him in? I remember coming in one time. I'm going to tell, I don't think he's here this morning. I remember coming into our cafe one time. We had a homeless man who just knew that this was the time. He was hungry. 
He knew that church, would, the doors would be open and he could possibly have food. We had donuts and we had coffee to provide him. And I saw one individual sitting with him in a corner in our cafe. He smelled. When he smiled, his teeth were missing. His clothes were filthy. And I saw this man, retired full bird colonel in the Air Force, a man of means, a man of substance in his family. And he sat down and he had a conversation with this guy as if they'd known each other for years. Guess what? He was Jesus with skin on that morning. And there was an impact that he had that was beyond the four walls of this church. It had nothing to do with a creed. It had nothing to do with a hymn. It had nothing to do with a praise chorus. It, it had an example of how Jesus transformed his life. He experienced it. And once you experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't help but change people when you come in contact with them. And when they see you and they understand you, they'll see something different in your life. James says, woe to you, woe to you guys that treat the rich differently than the poor. Who do you think you are? And then what does he do? He goes in to tell about the old scripture, the old ties, the royal decrees of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And he tells them, do you think you're better? I know exactly why he went there, adultery. Exactly why he went to sin thinking, are you any better? Because guess what? If you've committed one, you're guilty of all. We've experienced rejection in our life. We've all been there. Of course, maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't understand. I was the fat kid from first grade. Look at my pictures. They're all the same. I was the kid that sat alone at the lunch table when I was a kid. I was a kid that wasn't in the popular crowd. I was the nerd. I was the kid that was not part of the cool crowd. Now my sister, God love her, she was the blonde, blue-eyed, bombshell cheerleader. Which is probably why I couldn't stand her. <laughs> Extremely popular. Everybody knew who Melissa was. I, was. I was the band geek. I know that's shocking. I was drum major of the marching band, president of the choir, student conductor of the orchestra. But I was a dork. I listened to Sandy Patty for crying out loud. I was just, I was a church kid. I know what rejection felt like. But I had no idea the depths or the level of rejection as my life progressed through my 20s. And as I went through college, and as you begin to develop a sense of who you are, the kind of man or the kind of woman that you're going to be. And there was a moment in time in my life where I was extremely dejected. I felt rejected by the church. I felt shunned. I felt that I was less than, that I was not worthy to step foot. I was unworthy to pray, unworthy to sing, 
I stepped away even from the pastorate for a while. That I was this unworthy, rejected being that had no business being in four walls of a church, even though I grew up there. Even though there are still my initials on the pew at Samoset First Baptist Church where my father whooped my back end when he found that I had used in pencil in the wooden pews. I'm still there. But I experienced what it, what it feels like for a church to turn its back. I've experienced what it feels like for a church to say, you are less than me. And we have people that come into our doors. I bet you that feel that same way. There are people that won't even remotely come into our church. I can't get them in here. I can't even, oh, no, 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 no. Those doors would burst into flames the minute I stepped through them. I said, well, I walked through them. But you know what else I've experienced? I've experienced when a church extends love and grace. When a church extends a hand that rescues. When a church becomes a church that it is no longer just a building, it's a sanctuary where people can come and find shelter and can come and find understanding and come and find unconditional love because they are the hands and feet of Christ who is first and foremost the first one to offer us unconditional love. And Jesus becomes the rescuer of our lives and our church then becomes the rescuers. We, begin, we open ourselves up to allow the Spirit to work through us to rescue people. If you think you've got it all together and things are great for you and you're just awesome and you think everything's great and wonderful, all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed, this may not be the congregation for you because we're screwed up. I know some of you are screwed up. And if this is the place where you think that there's going to be perfection, you are going to be sorely mistaken. I never want to be on a pedestal. I want to be at the feet. I, want, I, want, I, I turn this piano around so you don't even see me. All you see is my head. I want to be out of the way to let God do what God wants to do. And dear church, let me tell you very clearly, God wants to use you. He wants you to be the very hands and feet. He wants to use us as a church. But if we are unwilling to be that, then he will move on and find someone who will because God's will will be done. And are those shallow words that we pray, our Father who art in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whoa! Those are heavy, huge words to pray. Father, we want on earth to be as it is in heaven. Your will, guess what? That is a release of control on your part, on our part. That's a release of things that we thought it should be. I had a specific plan for how my life was going to look. Yes? When I was in school, I told you I was the nerd part, so I still am, and I still do listen to Sandy Patty on occasion. I had a plan for my life. I was going to go off to college, go to some big fancy college. I was going to be some star. I didn't care what it was. Piano prodigy, conductor of an orchestra. It didn't matter to me. I was headed for stardom. And I was going to show those people in high school when I sat by myself. Actually, I didn't sit by myself in high school. I had a bunch of nerd friends that we sat with each other. But I was going to show them, oh, man. 
And I never wanted to be in church work. Never. I have a father who's a music director in a church. My mother was a pianist in church. I have a grandfather who was a music director in church. A grandmother who played piano. I come from church people. I wanted nothing to do with it. Never. First two years of my college, went to church rarely. Then I became a Presbyterian. That really doesn't count. So... But then God, for whatever reason, put me in a church. And he humbled me because he put me in a church with 100 people. Ay, ay, ay. I wanted to be at Juilliard in New York. No, I was, I was in a little town called Monument, Colorado, at a church with 100 people. I felt lost, I felt rejected. Lonely, because I was living a life contrary to what God had called me to do. I was trying to do something that God had not. God placed within me something that said, you are going to be able to sit on a stage, on an altar, whatever you want to call it, and you're going to be able to lead my people in worship. You're going to prepare their hearts for the word that is about to come to their ears. And I've placed my hand upon you. And nothing can separate you from my love. And that my grace is going to be sufficient for you in every time, in every moment of your walk and your life in church. Dear brother and sister, can I say that to you today? Whether you feel rejected, whether you feel dejected, whether you feel like you're on the outside looking in, God has a plan for you, a plan of hope. A plan not to harm you, but give you a hope and a future. He has a plan to use you. He may never have you on a stage. He may never have you in a big cathedral. He may never have you run your own company. You may never be a four-star general. But he has a plan and a desire for you right where you are. In your family. Dads, can we start there? Moms, can we start there? Husbands and wives, can we start there? And then when we discover that we, as together, are just a screwed up bunch of people, who am I to say who walks through that door and is worthy of sitting in these pews? Who are you to say that someone is unworthy to be a part of the gospel of Christ? to be the very hands and feet of Christ to a lost world. Who am I to reject? Oh, but we have standards. Let me tell you what I think about your standards. Let me get in my church mode real quick. This place, this building, this mission, we have some founding members of our church here in attendance, which we don't normally have in this service. They saw a vision and a future for what this place could be. Am I in the right stead? They saw what potential lie at the corner of I-25 and Baptist Road. They happened to be Lutherans. So they built 
and founded a Lutheran church. Now, I would assume if they were Baptists or Presbyterians, no, not Presbyterians, if they were Methodists or something else, that they would have built a Presbyterian or a Methodist church. But because they were Lutheran, they built a Lutheran church. And it was always with a mindset of never being just inside these four walls. It was how can this church impact our community? And over the 20 some odd years that we've been in existence, that vision, that forward thinking, that looking ahead has been where we've been has always been out front, and it's always been with the goal and with the mindset of what God wants to do with us. Now, sometimes we have failed that. Sometimes in our humanness and in our sinfulness and our frailty, we've made it all about us. We have to look this way. We have to talk this way. We have to be this certain thing. And yet the whole time God is saying, are you going to surrender to me and be what I want you to be? So family of Christ, I ask you as a church and those who are online who may not be in this building, I ask you, what kind of church do you want to be? Do you want to be this place where people come and heal? Where the broken are made whole again? Where lives that have been decimated and are just are complete ashes can come here, can find hope? can find grace, not judging, but mercy. Because I promise you, dear friend, if you are a church like that, because that resembles a Christ that's like that, can I say that again? If, if, if you are willing to be a church that's like that, that reflects and is a mirror image of a Christ that is like, like that, then I will tell you this, we will not have room enough to hold the people who will come through our doors. Whether they want to admit it or not, people want to belong. People want to be a part. And they find it in all different kinds of ways. They're going to find a sense of belonging. What better way not to have it than a belonging rooted and founded in the gospel of Christ? What a better way to find a group that here, where we're all screwed up, come sit with me. I am in my own flesh. I am unworthy to be here. Because whether you know it or not, God is in this place. Scripture tells us where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in their midst. Do we believe Scripture? Then we believe that God is in our midst. And I am unworthy in my own self to be that. But because of my faith in Christ, but because of my belief in who Jesus was and because God sent his son to die for me and his blood was shed for not only the sins I've committed in the past, the sins I commit right now, and the sins that I will ever commit in the future, because I am covered in the blood of Christ, therefore I am worthy of who I am. Not because of myself, but because of Christ. And we as a church are imperfect. We are imperfect people. But because we proclaim the gospel of Christ and his resurrected power moving and working in our hearts and lives and in our communities, we stand worthy. And we should stand and say, come in. Come in, all who are weary and heavy laden and burdened. Come in, find rest. 
Come in, it's not because of what we are or who we are because we're just screwed up too, but come in and experience the love of Christ. Come in and experience his grace and mercy that transforms, that renews. Who am I to get in the way of what God wants to do in this place? Church, if we prescribe to that message, that gospel, that vision of what Christ himself laid out in his word and in his words through the gospels, there won't be room enough to hold the people. But it comes at a cost. And the cost is laying down our control, laying down our preconceived notions, laying down that stuff that shackles us and burdens us. It's okay if someone comes in and wants is wearing shorts and flip-flops. That's cool. It's okay if someone walks in in a three-piece suit and is hair coiffed and awesome. It's all right if members of our society that have been rejected and put aside by holy people, if they walk through our doors that we love them, we extend to them the grace of Christ. It's okay that some homeless person that's wrapped in a sleeping blanket over here, walks through our doors. Come, sit on the front row. You wanna sit next to me at the piano? You're more than welcome. It's okay, that person that's so addicted to drugs, that person that has alcohol, that alcohol has just ravaged their lives and the lives of their family. That man or that woman who's found him or herself in sin and of adultery, and they've already wrapped themselves in shame and they've already shamed themselves. It's okay that they walk through our doors and that we love them and we extend grace to them. It's okay that we be a church. Are you willing to step up to the plate to what God has called us individually and what God is calling us corporately to be? Amen.